When it comes to weight management, we tend to focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. That's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up today. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball, and we are on to episode 99. I know we're not a hockey pod, but that's definitely the Wayne Gretzky episode. I think it has to be. <laughs> definitely. It's Well, it's certainly not the Aaron Judge episode, so... Yeah, uh, yeah. Give me the I'm judge good. episode. Still think Gretzky. Nah. Let's go, Gretzky. Rick, Rick Wild Thing Vaughn from no, Major true. League. That could, yeah, maybe that could be actually it. might be better. Yeah, <laughs> but we are. Uh, yeah, we're we're closing in. The century mark is is upon us. As a reminder, we are a proud member of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You can find us on all your favorite podcasting sources. You can leave us ratings and reviews at all those sources, which would be great. We love to see those. You can also find us on Twitter at Keep or Cut. That's cut with a K. Find me at Chad Young. Find Pete at Pete B Baseball. Love to hear from you. Love to get questions. But today, we are recording this on Sunday, May 14th. It's Mother's Day. Uh, we're not doing anything for Mother's Day on the episode. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what we would possibly do as a Mother's Day episode of Keep or Cut. Probably well, you know happy Mother's to Day do? to all those listener mothers out there. How all those that? listener mothers. What I'd really have to do to make it a Mother's Day episode of Keeper Cut is not record it <laughs> and be with, be with my wife and kids. But uh, the, they'll wait for me. They'll be okay. It's only seven ten over there, right? You're probably doing them a favor it's by not early. waking them up. You know up. what I did? You know what I did? I made a big pot of coffee and left oh, it. So when my wife beautiful. gets up, there will be co- coffee ready for her. Well but played. My daughter. My daughter was super excited about Mother's Day. I don't. I don't really know. Like this isn't like a thing. Like every year, she like. But she, this is like Christmas to her, even though she's not getting any gifts. And so she was like in our room at like six fifteen, being like, "Should I get my card for mom yet? Where's my wow. gift? Is my gift ready?" And I was like, "We're just still asleep here. Let's just <laughs> slow down." But yeah. Anyway, she's just excited. Well, we, that's all. Yeah, just excited. <laughs> it was. It, it's her birthday this week, and she had her birthday party yesterday. So I think like everything is just sort of. Big week together for celebrations. Yeah, a lot going on. May is a big month. My both my kids are May birthdays, so we just we have a lot going on in the last half of the month here. But <laughs> let's get back to baseball. What we want to talk about today are guys that we're not ready to give up on, and you know, there, there's we're, we're now six weeks into the season, and so you're starting to go to a point where, like we talked about. Jose Abreu. We talked about some struggling players last week. We talked about Jose Abreu last week. We're like, oh, he's struggling and like I'm kind of out on him. But we're reaching a point where like whether it's Abreu or someone else, you actually have to start to make some of those decisions of like, is this a guy who I'm just going to sell low? Is this a guy who I'm so out on I'm going to cut? Is this a guy who like I'm out, but they're on my roster and so I'm just going to live with it? Like, or are you still sort of buying in? Are the guys you want to buy low? And one of the things I was thinking about, and we talked about this earlier in the week, but you, it's easy to go look at a, a hitter's WOBA, a pitcher's ERA, and tell who's performing poorly. But it's also very easy these days, and, and most fantasy players are looking at things like XWOBA and FIP 
And so it's not real easy to be like, oh, I'm going to buy low on, let's see, let's get a good example here. I'm going to buy low Alex Bregman, 297 Woba, guys not hitting at all. Like any savvy fantasy manager can see that he's got a 350 X Woba, that things are probably better than they seem for Alex Bregman. And so we wanted to go look at this and take it a step further and say, all right, who are the guys who, if you went to that next step, you went to look at, the, you saw their ERA was bad. You saw their Woba was bad. You took a next step and looked at their X Woba or their FIP. Those are still bad. And maybe we're still in on them, right? And and so just trying to go a, a level deeper. And I think we'll we'll start with the offensive side. And what I've got here to start with, and these won't be the only guys we'll talk about, but I have a list of the 19 qualified hitters. So hitters who've had enough plate appearances to matter who have a WOBA and an ex-WOBA, both under 300. So these are guys who are just, they're not hitting well. There's there's no sort of like, oh, they're, you know, bad luck, blah, blah, blah. Like, they're just not hitting well. And we will talk about some guys who are like close to that 300 level or a little bit above it, but here's the list of 19 hitters that are below 300 on both. And Pete, get ready to think about who on here you're interested in or what reactions you have to them, so... And I'm going to sort these by ex-WOBA. So Enrique Hernandez, CJ Abrams, Nick Maton, Elvis Andrews, Robbie Grossman, Andreas Jimenez, Jamer Candelario, Andrew Benintendi, Gio Urshela, Jose Abreu, Manny Machado, Ezekiel Tovar, Joey Weimar, uh, Tony Kemp, Miles Straw, Jose Miranda, Gene Segura, Josh Rojas, and Nolan Arenado. So I think to start the the maybe the obvious place to start is there are two legitimate stud third basemen on here, right? In Manny Machado and Nolan Arenado, and again, this isn't just like oh they've had some bad luck, things aren't breaking. Well, like these guys have kind of sucked so far, <laughs> and they are they are two early picks that people were really counting on at a weak position. So yeah. what are your thoughts on on Machado and or Arenado? So let's start with with Arenado, uh, just so that we can make it about me, because don't you wish you built your TGFBI team around Nolan Arenado and Joe Musgrove and Jose Altuve and Rezel Iglesias, and then spent a third of your fab on Taj Bradley? Don't you wish that was you? Oh, man, um, I'm so jealous. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not going great. Um, I, I want to start with Arenado, though, because, uh, well, first of all, He's looked great this series against the Red Sox. I think he's already beginning to bounce back. He hit, I, th- I believe, a home run in both games in the series so far. Um, he's starting to pull the ball more, which, like, throughout Arenado's career, pulling the ball has kind of been his bread and butter, especially the last two years as he's changed as a hitter, right? Ever since he's come to St. Louis, we've seen a shift in his approach where um, he's he's really been a lot more fly ball heavy the last two seasons than he had been during his career in Colorado. And he's been a lot more pull heavy. Uh, the last two seasons, 45.2% pull rate in 2022, 45.8% pull rate in 2021. Before that, he hadn't been even over 40% pull rate. Uh, you'd have to go all the way back to 2016 to see him pulling the ball that much. So he had shifted as a hitter. Um, and I think he he realized he had to, to, to generate more power outside of cores. But he's kind of gone back to like his cores approach this season, intentionally or not where he's pulling the ball less than 40%, 
Um, the fly ball rate is back down to 25%, whereas the last two years it's been, it was 32.7 in 2021 and 29% in 2022. So those are, you know, when you're not lifting the ball and you're not pulling it, you better have some serious exit velocities and, 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 and you know, get a little bit of Babbitt luck as well, which Arenado doesn't have, right? Um, he's not particularly quick. He had obviously really high Babbitts in Colorado. I don't expect him to generate high Babbitts outside of Colorado. And on top of that, um, he's, he's somebody who does not usually hit for high exit velocities. That just hasn't really been his game. Um, even last year when he was what third in MVP voting, he was 46 percentile average exit velocity. So like he's a guy who needs to pull the ball and lift the ball to get that power going. And in his defense, St. Louis has also been terrible as a team offensively outside of Goldschmidt. So like, I, I think there's, I think St. Louis is going to start bouncing back. And I think Arenado has already started to bounce back and I'm still in on him. Yeah. I think with Arenado, there's, there are two things I'm a little bit still concerned about and they're one of them is fixable. One of them is just a note. And so the note is, you know, I, I was on hack and Jack, hacks and jacks last week with Scott Chu. And as always, if you ever talk to Scott Chu, if you ever listen to Scott Chu, if you follow him on Twitter, he's always talking about rolling charts, right? It's his, his favorite tool. And one of the things I noticed looking at Arenado, and this is a contrast to Machado, is that if you look at Arenado's rolling Woba chart, this isn't just like, oh, he goes through periods like this every once in a while, blah, blah, blah. Like, this is a, uh, this is a low dip for him. Well below what we've seen elsewhere in his career. There's a couple of times he's gotten sort of that low, maybe, but it, this, this is not normal for him. Um, it's it's an actual sort of new low point for him. So that that's just sort of the note. It's not it's not something you can do anything about. It's just thing worth noting. This isn't normal fluctuation for him. The other thing, which I do think is something you can do about, it, is if you look at his plate discipline, his biggest issue right now is he's chasing more than normal. He you know his career chase rate is thirty five point six percent. It's been around there. Most of the last, you know, decade, he's at 40.1% this year. It's the first time he's been over 40%. It's actually the first time he's over 38.5% since his rookie season in 2013. He's also making contact on pitches outside the zone at 66.7%, which would be almost a career low. He was at 66.2% back in 2018. Now, his contact and pitches inside the zone is fine. His swing rate at pitches inside the zone is fine. And so I, I think what's happening here a little bit is, and maybe this is related to the poor start, right? He has a poor start, and so he starts pressing a little bit, and he starts swinging at pitches he shouldn't. But he's clearly swinging at some pitches he shouldn't be swinging at, and it's it's causing his contact rate to dip. And his overall contact rate is dipped below 80%, which it hasn't done in about five seasons. And he's at 81.1 for the year. He's down at 79% this year. But it's all concentrated in this issue and pitches outside the zone. So if I'm Arenado, if I'm Arenado's hitting coach, what I'm saying to him is like, let's let's refocus on your patience. Let's refocus on like, you know, punish the pitches you can punish and, and stop swinging at stuff you shouldn't. Now, that's obviously easier said than done. There's a reason I'm not a hitting coach, right? It's like, yeah, I'm aware he should do this. I have no idea how to make him do it. But that's the adjustment I think he needs to make. I haven't seen that adjustment yet. His his O-swing is still sort of trending up, which is not ideal. 
but I think he'll make that adjustment. He he's too good a hitter and has been for too long for us to sit here and be like, yeah, you know, he's broken. He's done. I do think the, the, uh, the thing I would note along with my comment before about this dip being sort of a new low point for him, it's not just sort of an outlier. The only times he's really been close to dips like that are in 2020 and 2021. And those were his, his bad years for, for lack of a better term. Right. I mean, this is a guy who ran Wobas again, other than his rookie year, he's run Wobas above 350 every year for his career through 2019. And then in 2020 and 2021, and above 350, by the way, is an understatement. He was 359 one of those years and above 370 all the others, uh, mostly above like 380, 390. So 29, or 2020, he runs a 308. 2021, he runs a 336. 2021 is that first sort of full season, right? 2020, COVID year, whatever. But 2021, first full season outside of cores, runs a 336. And I think for a lot of people, myself included, there's a sense of like, maybe this is just who he's going to be moving forward. It's sort of a 330 to 340 kind of guy instead of 390. And then he had a 381 last year and just absolutely tore up the league again. It was like, oh, I guess he's, I guess he's fine. I, I, I sort of think what we're seeing right now is a good reminder that if you look back at his last sort of four years as a group, four years, including this year, that sort of 340-ish range is probably actually more accurate than the 380 he put up, 381 he put up last year. And, and so as I'm looking forward at the this season, I'm still in on Arenado. I would still sort of buy low, but I don't think you're looking at like last year, he had a, a, a 358 OBP. He had a 293 average. He had 30 home runs. Like, I don't think, and it's not just that he's had a bad start. And so how could he possibly hit those numbers? But like, I don't think he's going to put up those numbers for the rest of the year. Like, I don't think that's his like rest of season projection is to repeat last year. I think if I'm projecting him rest of the season, I think that batting average slips down to maybe 270 instead of 290. It's still a good batting average. You'll still take it. I think that on base percentages slips from around 360 last year to more like 335, which again, still good. You'll still take it, but it's not as great. And I think he's on more like a 25 home run pace instead of a 30 home run pace. So none of that is obviously bad, right? Like that is still, those are good numbers you will take from your third baseman. But I think it's, it, it is time to reset expectations a little bit again, not based on like, Oh, he's been terrible this year. So he's obviously bad now, but just like it, it gives you a, di- it's a new data point to add to what's happened basically since 2020, since he's left Colorado, that gives me a sense that like, I just think he's a, I think we need to be more realistic about what he's going to be going forward. Yeah. I think, I mean, if you drafted Arenado thinking you were going to get 2022 value, then I, I think you will. I, I'm with you. I think you're going to be disappointed, but I also agree. I think he's a pretty good buy low candidate. The talent is just like either you think he's washed up or you don't. And if you don't, I kind of expect him to bounce back here. Yeah, agreed. As for Machado, so I talked about those those rolling charts. Machado's 15 game rolling Woba is on the low side for him, but over the last few years, he has dipped. So his his low point this year in terms of a 15 game rolling Woba was 193. He hit that point on April 26. He's actually been sort of straight up since then, so things have been improving. He had a, so that's like I said 193. He had a low point of 176 at one point in 2021. He had a low point of 211 at another point in 2021. He had a 196 low point in 2019. There was another point in 2019 where he was down to 212. Uh, The point of this all is he's actually been 
worse than this at times in his career. And and one of the things Scott and I talked about in Hacks and Jacks is like, and not that this is some you know big insight, lots of people talk about this, but like these sort of month-long slumps, these couple weeks of just somebody being terrible, like they happen. They happen throughout the season. And if if Machado were putting up his normal Manny Machado season and then had what basically was his month of April in August, people would be like, man, Machado's had a rough August. And that would be the end of the conversation, right? Now, because it's the start of the season, you see these numbers, and you're like, oh my God, he's been terrible. And then you look at his ex-woba and you're like, even his ex-woba is terrible. He's, he's broken. He's never going to bounce back. And it's like, nah, he's sort of done this before. Like this isn't, this isn't new for him. It's just a thing that's happening at a, at a bad time. And, you know, I look at Machado, it's like his, his chase rate has climbed the last couple years, but last year it didn't really hurt him. And I, I don't think it's jumped a whole lot from where it is this year, from where it was last year. I, I do think his Z swing has gone down after going up last year. And so last year he got more aggressive and it really helped him this year. He's gotten more patient in the zone and more aggressive out of the zone. And he needs to tweak that. But again, I think that's like, that's a manageable tweak for a guy like him. Um, and that's again, that's sort of it. Like, I think if he does that, his his walk rate comes back up because his walk rate being low is is definitely hurting him right now. His max EV this year is one thirteen point two. That's higher than his max EV last year. So while he's not tapping into that power as often this year as he has in the past, it's not like he's completely lost it. Right, he is more than capable of getting up to some some big numbers, and I I just think this is. Like, again, I think this is a buy low opportunity in a guy like Machado because he's done this before. He's going to like, and, and that's not even a, like, oh, he's streaky. He goes through slow, blah, blah, blah. Like players have high points and low points. Every player has high points and low points. This is a fairly, uh, it's on the extreme end of what a normal low point is for Manny Machado, if that makes sense, right? It's not something he does like five times a season, but it's something he does once every couple of years at least. Yeah, people were able to get some awesome discounts on him years ago. I can't remember which year. It was four or five years ago because it was like, oh, man, Manny Machado, he, he doesn't try. And exit velocity was was down one season, and he just had a cut. But you're right. he's He's been in ruts like this before that were worse. I think the differences in, in chase rate, the difference in his zone swing rate, they're all pretty negligible that, you know, in a month's time, to your point, we could he could be right back on track. He, I kind of view him like a better version of Arenado where I, I just think he's too good of a player and in your keeper leagues, like what are you really going to do if you have him right now? You're not going to sell him. Even if you're out of contention, why would you sell him right now? Because you should be pretty confident. The 30 year old future hall of famer is going to bounce back and he'll have more value later in the season. I'm I'm not cutting him and not new unless I have him for like $800,000. Like there, there's nothing <laughs> you can really do with Manny Machado right now. So it's just been a bummer of an April. The good news is if you have had him to this point, you're only going to move up your standings because I think he's, he's only going to get better. Yeah, I, I agree. I do have him in our keeper cut on a new listener league where you and I are just scraping the bottom and I probably <laughs> will put him on the trade block, but you're right that like the, you know, if I put him on the trade block, the, the message is I'm selling you Manny Machado, the, the all-star, the near MVP candidate. Like that's the Manny Machado I'm selling. Right. If you're looking at him right now and you're not interested in buying that Manny Machado, like don't bother making an offer. I'll wait until 
June if I need to, July, whatever. Like, I'm not in a hurry. 100%. But I'll put him out there because I do think – I think there's enough people out there who will believe in Machado and want to buy in that I, I I think it's worth getting him on the market. But that, but I think that's the real advice. It's not don't trade him. It's just like don't trade him for for pennies on the dollar because he's struggling right now. Like, yeah, wait it out if that's what you're going to do. So looking at some of the other names in this list, I think one other name that, that we can talk about very, very, very quickly because I don't think there's a lot to say. Miles Straw had a really good start to the year and was hitting really well. But the reality is you bought Miles Straw for speed and not for anything else if you bought him at all. And so he's stolen nine bases. He's going to keep running and he's getting on base at a good enough clip, a 312 OBP that he's going to get opportunities to run. So like, yeah, his web was low. Yeah, his ex web was low. I just don't care. It's not that I think that he's going to with straw. It's just like, I, I don't care that he's not hitting. Like as long as he's getting a base at a decent clip and he is, he's got a 312 OBP. So it's not terrible. But like, you know, if he turns it around and hits for high average, like great, you'll take that. There was a point at which he was leading the Guardians in RBI. That's that was never going to continue. He's not like just not what he's there for. He's stolen you nine bases so far. He's going to steal a ton of bases as long as he stays on the field. Now the risk with him is he may not stay on the field. It, it's worth noting that George Valera has been playing a lot of center field in Columbus, and if they believe George Valera is the center fielder of the future, like they're not moving Miles Straw to a corner, right? He's that's he becomes a pinch runner or slash defensive replacement, which might be how he's best used anyways. But other than him losing his job, the fact that he's not hitting just, it just doesn't matter to me. Yeah. I mean, there's been so far this season, 844 stolen bases last year at this time on May 14th, last season, there had been 492 stolen bases that has neutralized players like miles straw. He's just not worth it. Yeah. It is worth noting with those numbers that last season started, you know, a week or two late, right? So May 14th sure. was earlier in the season. But even if you, you know, bump that up by an extra week or two and say, oh, there were closer to 600 steals this many games into the season, like that's still a lot less than there are this year, right? Right. Um, so other names on this list, there's a couple of uh, a couple of young players that I think are are interesting. A few young players, I'll say, actually. So you got Jose Miranda, Joey Weimer, Ezekiel Tovar, C.J. Abrams. There's a couple other guys like, you know, Nick Maton sort of fits in that category, but I'm, I'm less intrigued by him. But those other guys, like Miranda was, you know, cold start last year that was great. Tovar and Abrams and, and Weimer are still sort of prospects, you know, learning on the job. Well, Tovar are, are you... is a little, Tovar's a little interesting. That, that, yeah. That's the one that kind of stood out to me here because over the last couple of weeks, he's actually showed signs of life. I mean, his strikeout rate in April was over 30%, which is just not going to play when you know you have limited power, you're batting low in a bad lineup. But yeah. that strikeout rate is is under 17% so far in May. Um, it's not the end-all be-all, and we're only at May 14th, but it's also come with a little bit of hits, and this is a player who has a pretty good hit tool. Um, you know, the WRC plus is still under 90 in May. So it's not like he has shown some extreme signs, extreme signs of life here. He's also not taking any walks. The average exit velocity is still around 86%. But like even the season on a whole, I don't think has been as bad as people thought. I think if you drafted Ezekiel Tovar late thinking like, oh, I'm going to get my starting shortstop super late, then obviously it's hurt to this point. But his max EV is, is 109.4. It's not terrible it's up from where it was last season and only you know last season we're talking 24 batted balls but 
the barrel rate at six and a half percent, it's not great. It's not good, but it's not terrible. I don't think it's, I, I, I would expect if I didn't look at this and you asked me, what is Ezekiel Tovar's barrel rate this season? I was going to guess like, I don't know, 3.2%, like something awful. He yeah. hasn't quite been as bad. And with these May signs of life, I don't know. He, he's a guy I'm targeting. I have him for $3 in the, that fan staff league. And I have no interest in cutting him. I'm, I'm going to ride out that $3. I don't need the money that helps, but I'm, I'm holding out some hope here for Ezekiel Tovar in the leagues that I can. Yeah, this is another thing I talked about on that, that Hacks and Jacks episode was that Tovar is a guy who, when I drafted him, and I drafted him late where I drafted him, but when I drafted him, it was very much with a mindset of his glove's going to keep him on the field, and that's going to give him time to work through the stuff he needs to work through. And I've been getting anxious because it's he's not performing, but I think your point of like, okay, well, the strikeout rate is headed the right direction. Like, he's a kid, you know, even among kids, like he's, he's 21. He doesn't turn 22 until August. It's going to take a little time. And he's also, I think it's worth remembering. He's not a bat first guy. Like he's got a good hit tool. He doesn't have a ton of power. He doesn't have no power. He's not like, you know, he's not Steven Kwan. Um, but he, he's not going to be a guy who you are counting on or should be counting on for 20 plus home runs. Like he's, he's going to hit for high average. He's going to get on base. Like the, the upside here is he's going to hit for high average. He's going to get on base. He's going to steal you some bases and he'll hit near the top of the order and, and score you some runs. And I think that's all still very much in play with him, but I absolutely believe he is a, like he's a, just a guy you have to be patient with. And it may not be this year. Like it may be that in like July, August, you start to really see some growth and improvement. And what you're really doing is banking on him for the future. So many, many episodes ago, you and I did that draft to, uh, split up our one team and and we yeah. were going to take over two different teams in that uh, keeper cut listener league one which is a roto five by five but it's obp um instead of batting average and you took tovar and i was sad i, I wanted that last round ezekiel tovar that's good value you're not, you're in first place you're 1.5 points above me so that that could change in the blink of an eye but you've got a situation where it's all because i took tovar <laughs> well probably not uh, but <laughs> You have Andres Jimenez, another struggling middle infielder who yeah. you have more invested in, but probably a steeper cost, although he might also be free. I don't even know. So, like, are, are you – what are your thoughts on Tovar here? Is he is he your next guy to drop, or are you going to try and ride it out? Because in Otnew, I think it's obvious you hold 40 roster spots, and he's probably cheap. But this league is not exactly, like, deep rosters. I know. I've been struggling with what to do. I think what I, think what I really – honestly should be doing is I should be putting Tovar on the trade block and, and finding somebody who is ready to focus on the future and has more capacity to wait it out. Um, Cause right now I'm it's yeah, it's hard. It, it's hard to sit there with a shallow roster and him taking up space when I know that he's basically just a stash at this point. And so I think that's probably the right move, but if there's no, if there's no interest in him, yeah, at some point I'm just going to have to bail and let someone pick him up and someone will, like someone will, will grab him and that's fine. It's a case like part of the, part of what I'm, what I'm thinking about is like, sometimes in auto new, I hate to drop a guy who's like a $10 guy because someone else might pick them up for five or six. And it's like, Oh, 
not only am I going to lose this, but this guy's going to get like a much better value on this guy and blah, blah. Like Tovar is so inexpensive right now that whether I trade him to someone or whether I drop him, his price is effectively the same to whoever gets him next. And so there's a part of me that's like, eh, maybe I should just, you know, if I can't get anything good in a trade, then maybe the best trade I can make is someone on the wire. And, yeah. and so we'll have to see. I, I think that's a, uh, yeah. With that, it being OBP, it's definitely me. not going to be his best format anyway. So no, that's true. Any, anyone else on this list that you wanted to talk about? Uh, well, I, I definitely wanted to talk about Tovar. One name that, that just missed it is a name that uh, you are not a fan of. I know that, but I do think he's actually a pretty good buy low. He just missed the cut, and that's George Springer. Uh, so George Springer right now is sitting at a... Sorry, I just... What happened to George? There he is. Um, so he's at a 267 Woba, so he made the cut there. The ex-Woba suggests he, he has been better at 322, but still... Definitely not great. Not what you're expecting to see there. Um, he just, for me, kind of fits the same mold as, as Arenado. And to a lesser extent, Manny Machado, what I mean by that is I expect Manny Machado to just be a flat-out stud. And if you're a little bit more hesitant on the older Springer and Arenado, I understand that. Um, but Springer, already his max EV is 115.9. Like, there's still plenty of thunder in that bat. So I look at the average exit velocity of 86.8, not to keep this is like the average exit velocity episode for me <laughs> not to keep <laughs> belaboring the same point, but like I, he's never been a crazy average EV guy. Anyway, I expect that to go up. The barrel rate is still 10.2%. That's up from last season. The plate discipline does not look much different. He's walking a little bit less. So I'm willing to bet he's chasing more, but it's George Springer. So if there's somebody in your league, who's like, man, he's been terrible. He's 33. Maybe this is kind of, the downhill point for George Springer. You're probably going to have to deal with an IL stint at some point, but I still think that is one of the, maybe one of the best outfield bats on a per plate appearance basis. So if I can actually get him cheap because his numbers look so gloomy, I'm going to, I'm going to go and try and acquire him. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I will tell you what I think of George Springer. Fads come and go and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. As you mentioned at the beginning of that, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of Springer, but I, it's worth noting, like not being a fan of someone is always relative to their cost and what the market is saying and stuff like that. And so, I I was not paying market price for Springer. I was not drafting Springer at the price he was being drafted at. I I I never have and I never will, and that's that. 
his price right now might be low enough that that is not oh, man. where I'm standing, right? Like Even Chad's he, in on Springer now. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I was just noticing, like, he's been cut in at least some of my honor new leagues. And I'm trying to I'm trying to pull up some quick numbers here to see. It's so one that I'm in, ro- at yeah, least. Well, his honor new roster rate is down to under 97%. That's not, like, a super low number, but um, it, it gives a sense of what's happened with him. And his average salary has been dipping slowly but surely over the last few weeks. Um, as I look, he is a free agent right now in the Keeper Cut Listener League. He is up for bid right now in that league. He was cut at $31. The minimum bid on him is $16. Um, we'll see what he goes for there, but I'm guessing it'll be less than 31 <laughs> I, got, I think you're right there. Yeah. I've got $24 of cap space there. And I am looking at like, I'm an 11th place team. I don't really have a lot to lose here. What's the right bid on him? Even if the only point in bidding on him is to wait for his value to go back up and trade him because he's not my favorite player to sit on. Right. Like I, I, if I bid on him, it probably won't be to keep him long-term. It'll be to, you know, flip him for something that I do want to keep long-term, but I'm trying to look at my, see where else is, what else's costs are that podcaster league. I don't think he was cut in that podcaster league. Was he? Cause he's $25. I think that was just what he went for at auction. Yeah. It's just what he went for at auction. Maybe that's the only one of my leagues he's been cut in. Cause his prices elsewhere are not really low. Yeah. So maybe ever, maybe everyone else is just sort of, sticking it out right now but my my sense is he has been cut in other places like if it's not if it's not my league then i know that i've seen it maybe showed up on one of the reports i pulled on players who we cut recently but i know he's being cut in auto new leagues at least at some rate and that that's resulting in his price coming down which which makes sense and if you look at some trades in auto new recently like he was traded in a Fangraphs points league a few days ago, a $36 Springer for a $5 Justin Steele. Let's see, back on May 1st, a $38 Springer, a $7 Cronenworth, and a $5 Bryce Elder for $2 Michael Brantley and $38 Corey Seager. That's actually a pretty high value, I think, on, on Springer there to get a Seager for him. But at that point, it was a little bit earlier and Seager was, you know, Seager's hurt. I'm just wondering how uh, Bryce Elder got up to $5. <laughs> yeah, well, here's one, a Springer for Machado deal. But in order to, but this is a $25 Springer for a $38 Machado. And Springer went with Brendan Donovan at $11 and Curtis Mead at $6. Josh Winkowski went back the other way, but I'm not sure I care about Josh Winkowski. Sorry. Hope you don't mind me saying that. I either. don't mind that at all. <laughs> um, But I think like, Anyways, these trades, it's sort of interesting. Like, I think preseason, it would have been very surprising to see somebody give up a $25 Springer for a $38 Machado. Now, to get that Machado, and Machado has him good himself, right? But now to get that Machado, you need to add a a couple of exciting young middle infielders in in Donovan and Meade. So, I, I, I do have a, I don't know. So, here's one more. This is a $32 Springer 
and a $10 Dalton Varsho and a $3 Kyle Harrison, who I really like, for a $31 Chris Bryant, a $1 Jack Sawinski, and a $1 Araldis Chapman. Now, maybe some of that has to do with Sawinski's value going up. But if you focus on that being as you know Springer for Bryant as the the core big outfield pieces in that, and then a reliever and Sawinski added on to Bryant, and you had to add on Varsho and Harrison to Springer, like his value is down. Like that's a pretty like again preseason. If I were talking about a twenty a thirty two dollars Springer for a thirty one dollar Bryant, there's like two three pieces being added on to Bryant to even that out. Like he wasn't for sure to Springer, so. His value's down, and it may be down enough that I'm, I'm back in, right? Yeah. It's it's all about price. So one other guy on that list I want to talk about quickly, Andres Jimenez. You mentioned him before. I've, I've got him on a bunch of teams, as well as obviously being a Guardians fan. And, and the thing is, so again, looking at his rolling Woba chart, 15 game weighted average of of Woba. His dip this year is lower by by a fairly decent amount than what he did last year. It is not lower than what he did in 2021. Now, 2021 was bad for him. But if you look at his career as a whole, he's played roughly 300 games. He might have even played exactly 300 games at this point. Uh, Let's double check that. He has played 300 games exactly. 300 games, 1,047 plate appearances. And this dip for him is sort of a thing again that happens in a 300 game sample for him. He's been this low. He was this low at basically four different times between 2019 or 2020 and 2021 last year. He just never quite dipped this low. And so again, what that tells me is if you look at his, his career sample where he's a 331 Woba, where he's got a 267 career average, 338 on base, 420 slugging, He's, you know, a 15-ish home run kind of guy over his career. He's a 25-ish stolen base guy over his career. What he's done over this last few weeks is just sort of a thing that happens over that career. And so Jimenez as well, I think I'm looking at as sort of a, like, you know, it's tempting to look at what he did last year. And I, I probably did this and say, like, he's established himself at a new level. He was still only 23. This was his breakout year. That's probably not true, but I think what we are seeing is like, okay, what he's done is he's dipped back to sort of the mix he's had for his career. And as he gets, that'll bounce back to where his career numbers are. And so I'd still buy in on like a 330-ish Woba the rest of the way. Yeah, I'm not ready to give up on Andres Jimenez. I think it's probably a pretty good comp, the two players that you're dealing with in Listener League 1, right? Ezekiel Tovar and Andres Jimenez, where Jimenez obviously has more of a track record because Tovar does not have one at all, but it's not like Jimenez has a very long track record, and I think Tovar was the higher-rated prospect, so I think there's a little bit of a comparison to be made there. I'm still holding out on Jimenez over over Tovar, and I think obviously most of our audiences as well because Jimenez was in many cases a top 100 pick. I just especially in your your stolen base leagues. You know, I brought up earlier that stolen bases are up around the league, but Jimenez is a player who could still be a standout in that category, even with stolen bases being up while not killing you in everything else. So right. last year, we, we said it weeks ago, months ago, that like last year might end up being a career season for Andres Jimenez, but that doesn't mean that the rest of his career will be a disappointment. So yeah. it, it's finding that right balance and understanding the value that you have there. 
Yes, agreed. Totally agree. Any other hitters you want to talk about? Uh, I think I'm, I'm. I think I'm ready to get into some pitchers here. All right, let's let's switch to the pitchers then. And as with hitters, I started off by filtering a list. And this time, instead of using a 300 Woba, I used a 5.00 ERA and FIP. So here and to be are clear the... for our listeners, that's not good. Yeah, it's not good. Not good. <laughs> there are eight starting pitchers who are who are sort of you know qualified for the ERA title, right? If they pitch pretty regularly, it basically means they need to have, I think, like seven, eight starts. All of these guys have made eight starts. Eight starting pitchers, eight starts apiece. All have both an ERA and an FIP over five. Here's your list of names sorted from the worst ERA to the best ERA. Lance Lynn, Ken Waldachuk, Austin Gomber, Jordan Lyles, Ryan Nelson, Taiwan Walker, Michael Kopech, Hayden Wesneski. So uh, to, to start with here, I think there's a couple of names and I, I'm going to, I'm going to, because we can try to go through all eight of these, at least at some level. But I'm going to start with two of them who I think we can just sort of ignore. And those are Austin Gomber and Jordan Lyles. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't, like, it seems to me that, like, they're just not very good pitchers. And that's, there's not a lot else to say. Agreed. Okay. <laughs> then, let's talk about a couple, let's couple, three. Three rookies that are on here. I think they're all, yeah, these guys are all rookies. Ken Waldachuk, Ryan Nelson, Hayden Wesneski. If they're not rookies, they're close enough to rookies. They should be. These guys all came in with, with varying degrees of hype. You know, Nelson had those like incredible starts down the stretch last year. Waldachuk had really, really good minor league numbers, was pretty highly touted. Same with Wesneski. And they've been collectively uh, bad. Very bad. So... Any any thoughts on those three guys or on any one of those three guys where you're like, yeah, this is this is a guy that, yeah, he's been terrible, but um <laughs> I'm I guess I'm kind of holding out some hope for Wes Nesky. I think out of these three names, I liked him by far the most going into the season. Um, so I, I guess I'm gonna give him a little bit more runway there. He's also probably had more like respectable outings so far this season than those other two players in Ryan Nelson and Ken Waldachuk. Um, Waldachuk is just, he's just given up so many home runs. He's not getting any strikeouts. I mean, he has been really bad. And if you're in a, if you're in a standard five by five, there's almost no, win, literally there's no win upside there because Oakland athletic starters do not win games. So I, I can't say it's him. <laughs> and then looking at Ryan Nelson, like, yeah, Fott has been absolutely awful. Um, Dre Jameson was so bad he had to get sent down. Madison Bumgarner got DFA'd. So you think the job security is there, but at some point they're going to start getting some of those guys back. I know at least um, Zach Davies is out. I don't know how soon he is to coming back. And I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden Ryan Nelson, if he is not only pitching poorly, but he's not even going deep into outings, if he ends up getting bumped from that rotation. Um, I think at least at some point, to limit his innings, he's, he's going to get bumped. Whereas I, I guess I'm maybe not that worried about that with Waldachuk and Wes Neske. So I think Wes Neske has been the best so far of these three. And I think he has the most stability to stay in that rotation, even though that's a team that's trying to contend. So I, I guess I'm, I'm most in on him. But to be frank, Chad, I'm like kind of done with all three of these people. So I, if you have any of these guys in your odd new leagues and your keeper leagues, um, I, I understand trying to hold on to all three because you probably have them for really cheap prices and so on and so forth. But 
if you're in redraft or even in a shallow keeper, like, or you're in an odd new league where you have any of these guys for five or more dollars, like I'm totally fine with cutting any of them. Yeah, I'm with you that I'm fine with cutting any of them. I also agree Wesneski is the the one I'm, I mean, Nelson, I'm done with. I'm just out. I, I just like his minor league numbers weren't that good. I wasn't that excited about him last year. I, I, I bought in on the, like I bought in in a very limited amount on what he did late last year in MLB. It was like, okay, maybe there's something here, but it was always a, you know, I always had a toe in the water and very little more. Whereas Wisniewski and Waldachuk, I was, I was in on these guys. So Wisniewski, what I'll point out is he had, you know, some bad, bad starts to open the year. Then he went through a five start stretch. It ended yesterday when he got, lit up for four home runs by the twins. But prior to that start, his five starts previous and this, yes, he faced, he faced Miami, Washington and Oakland in that stretch. He also faced the Dodgers and the Padres. So this isn't like, it's actually a fairly reasonable sample of extremes. I guess you'd say like he faced two of the best offenses in baseball and three of the worst. But over that stretch, he had a 2.22 ERA, a 3.54 FIP. He walked, 0.64 0.64 per nine innings. He was walking nobody over that stretch. Uh, he also managed to mostly avoid home runs. He gave up three home runs over that stretch. One to the Dodgers, one to the Padres. He also gave up one to the Marlins. I, like he wasn't striking out a ton of guys. His K per nine was just 6.04, but like he was demonstrating what he is capable of over that stretch. And, and I think, I wish I could remember who it was. Someone in the auto news slack yesterday made the point that like Wisniewski is basically learning on the job here, right? He's, he's thrown 120 innings at triple a and he threw 83 at double a. So like he's only got a couple hundred innings of, a you know, high minors ball under his belt. And so he's still sort of figuring things out and the Cubs appear committed to letting him figure things out. I think that's a pretty good thing for him and for the Cubs, but it does short term mean there's going to be some ups and downs for him. And I, and I think, you know, you're going to have to make some decisions about what you want to do with him in fantasy. Cause I'll be honest. Like I started Wesneski a bunch of places yesterday and it, it sucked. Like he, he went five innings. He gave up four home runs. He struck out five and only walked one. That part was good. Um, honestly, it was just the four home runs, right? Like seven hits and a walk over five innings. Isn't great, but it's not the end of the world. If they're not, all home runs. If they're all home runs, bad things happen. So, you know, I, I'm I, I'm intrigued by Wisniewski. I think I'd still buy in. I don't think I'm like, you know, if I'm selling, he's not like the focal point in a Manny Machado trade for me to go back to talking about, you know, possibly selling Machado. But is he a piece I wouldn't mind getting in a trade like that? I think I'd be okay with him as a part of that trade and, and wanting him to be someone I can like build hopefully build up to being an important part of my rotation by late this year into next year. If I have him, especially if I'm competing, I'm probably just going to sit on him and not a new, but in some other formats, I, you sort of have to move on at some point. And I, like I, I have a, a dynasty league with some of the pitcherless community that I had both Wazneski and Waldachuk when the season started, I've already cut Waldachuk. He's done nothing for me. He has shown me no signs of life. And that league is a weird league because it's a, I think it's 43 man rosters, but you have 15 minor league spots that have to be used for minor leaguers. 
And so once guys, the minor leaguers in that, in that definition are either in the minors right this second. So like, uh, as an example, Jake Lamb got optioned by LA, by the, by the Angels. And if I, if I, I don't have Jake Lamb in that league, I don't know why you would have Jake Lamb in any league. But the point is that it doesn't matter that he's not a prospect or, or a, you know, what we think of as a minor leaguer. He's in the minor leagues. I can therefore hold him in a minor league spot. Or it can be a guy who is minor, who is a, who is rookie eligible. So a guy who came up to start the season like Esteori Ruiz, like Waldachuk and Wesneski, but were still rookie eligible, you could keep them stashed in a minor league spot until they use up that rookie eligibility. In that league, because we have relatively shallow major league rosters, we basically have a 20, 27, 28 man major league roster. I had I had Ruiz, I had Waldachuk, I had Wesneski, I had Trevor Larnock, Oscar Kolos, I got all these guys that have been graduating. And every time they graduate, I need to promote them and cut someone or cut them. And eventually Waldachuk became just expendable. I just I couldn't keep sitting on him in a major league spot. If he got sent down, I would have stashed him in the minors. I would have been thrilled to do that. But I, I just couldn't. Wesneski, I still have. He's the one of these guys that I'm just he is he is showing signs of life. He has a a more impressive track record, especially since coming to the Cubs. I'm just I'm I am willing to wait him out at least a little bit longer. But I need to see more of that five game stretch in between Seattle and Minnesota and less of what he did like at Minnesota yesterday. <laughs> Yes, the the better pitching definitely would be good. Uh, I, I'm with you on on Waldachuk. I mean, look, maybe one day he figures it out. I, I, obviously, we're rooting for the guy, but I mean, he's almost a 60% fastball pitcher anyway. He's essentially a two-pitch pitcher who's shown nothing. I, there's not a whole lot of that you're going to get out of holding on to him. In regards to Wes Neske, I mean, I guess this is a like a tangible, albeit anecdotal example right now. Um, I've got five claims in uh that will process tomorrow in our listener league one that we were talking about earlier uh and basically i'm deciding between dropping west nesky or tanner hauk and i'm going with tanner hauk so um i'm going to hold on to west nesky at least for a little bit another week and we'll see how that goes assuming these moves process anyway who knows if if any of them do um but if you're making some decisions there between west nesky and pitcher blank i'm moving on from tanner hauk in this league i'm sure you've got similar pitchers who are like borderline guys for you and I'd I'd give Wes Neske a little bit more rope. I think he's shown shown enough as a major leaguer to maybe be worth buying in on. Got it. So after those three kids, we've got three varying degrees of veteran. We'll say <laughs> we've got uh, three guys left. They are Lance Lynn, who is you know by any definition of veteran, he is a veteran. He is thirty six. He's been an All Star. He is a you know, long track, record. many teams, all that. Yeah. Taiwan Walker, definitely a veteran, but less established. I would say than Lynn, he's been sort of up and down through his career, had a great year last year. And then Michael Kopech, who is, he's 27. He is a veteran at this point. He has been around a while, but certainly has never been, uh, he's been more highly touted maybe than the others, but has never been as good as the others. So of those three, any of those you want to react or respond to? Um, no, I, Lance Lynn, I'm holding out hope. I mean, you, you put him in the notes, so I know you've got a lot to say about Lance Lynn, but, um, 
it, it's weird that walks have become an issue for him. That's that's not something I would have expected with Lance Lynn. Um, I know he was a guy that towards the end of draft season, he was like moving up boards. Some people got a lot invested in him. I don't know if the maybe Team USA threw him off, you know, the World Baseball Classic, whatever it was. But he's a he's a guy who's got a pretty consistent. It's going to be a lot of fastballs, maybe some hard contact. He's not going to walk a lot. He's going to give you quality starts and wins. And he just hasn't been that. I don't know if it's something in the water in Chicago. Um, I think he's an obvious trade candidate. So you could see, you know, him at the trade deadline, get moved to some other team and all of a sudden just take off. He's a guy, I guess I'm still interested in those other two. Um, no, I can't say I am. Yeah. I, Lynn, I mean, I agree. I, I will start by saying on Lynn, like in some of my auto new leagues and I've got him in a bunch. Cause I, I, I bought in. So Lynn last year, let me go back a little bit here. Lynn last year coming back from injury started terribly. And his numbers looked awful. And then he started to turn things around and people took a long time to notice. And I started buying back in and was really impressed. And, and Lynn's a guy who um, I've always been a little bit down on, maybe maybe sort of Springer-like, where like, yeah, I agree, he's a good pitcher, but I've just never been a huge fan. But when the price has dipped, it's like, yeah, I'll buy in when the price is low. And that's sort of what happened last year. And I bought in and I was very happy. And I, I kept buying in through this offseason because the price stayed low. I am right now very strongly considering I may have even done it already. I should double check, but uh, there are some Lance Lynn's I'm going to cut. And I'm starting by saying that because I agree with you. I'm not done with Lance Lynn. I just, I, I just can't keep waiting at the price he's been at. So like mm-hmm. he was cut in one of my leagues, my, my food and travel league. He was $14. I wasn't the one who cut him there. Someone else did. In our listener league, uh, he was cut at $18. I have him in two leagues. I have a $14 version, and I have an $8 version. The $8 version, by the way, is in that podcaster's league. I'm probably going to sit on that $8 version. It's a good enough price that if he turns things around, he potentially goes back to being a keeper. And that team's been successful enough um, that I I can afford to wait him out. in. League 32, where I have him at $14, I may cut him because I need the cap space, and I'm okay with that. So I wanted to start with that because I'm going to talk about why I think I'm buying back in without without being like, you know, I'm lying to you or something, right? Like, I, I hate it when I'm like, people are like, oh, I would definitely buy this guy, and then they like cut him a day later, and it's like, eh. So I'm just, I wanted to explain some context there that like, I would buy in if the price is right, but where I need cap space and he's expensive, I can also understand cutting him and maybe trying to buy back in later. Like he may sit out there for 30 days at seven, eight bucks. So issues for him, as you said, walks home runs have also been an issue that is, that is bad. Although I think some of that's unlikely to continue his home run per fly ball rate is 22.2%. I'm willing to bet that 22.2% does not stay that high. It probably cuts down maybe by as much as half. He also had a similar issue last year. Like I said, he started slow, finished really strong, that doesn't guarantee anything. It's not like, oh, this guy once started slow and then got really good, so that's always going to happen to him. But it it is a reminder, like we talked about those rolling charts. It's a reminder that guys go through fluctuations and some guys bounce back better than others. And this is a this is a thing we have seen Lance Lynn do before and return to being great. So I'm watching those walk rates and home run rates. I want to see those moving down. Where I say I'm ready to, I, I'd be willing to buy back in, like, if I start to see 
the right trends on those walk rates and home run rates, then I'm going to buy back in pretty quickly. Because when he turned it around last year, it happened fast. And then, like you said, win leagues, quality start leagues, whatever it is, like he throws a lot of innings. He throws them very well. He gives you good rates. Like he just does a little bit of everything for you. And I I want to be in on that when the time is right. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm actually... I'm more concerned about the walks than I am the home runs. I think his profile kind of just generates or looks like a guy who will probably give up home runs when he gives up contact. Um, The walks are weird, but with, with the home runs, like, all right, so this year he's thrown his fastball 349 times. He's given up six home runs on it. I mean, you brought up the home run to fly ball rate, how it's out of whack in 2021. He threw that fastball 1051 times. So more than three times as much as he's thrown it now, or about three times as much as he's thrown it now. And he gave up six, the same amount of home runs. I think he's just having some bad luck there. Nothing looks different. The usage doesn't look different. The whiffs are down a little bit, but they're not different enough. It's 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 negligible. Um, down to like the exit velocity and the launch angle. It looks pretty similar to where they've been the last two years, and that's obviously his bread and butter pitch. So I think he's just had a little bit of bad luck on it. If I see the walks go down, even if the home runs are still up, I'm actually even more likely to buy in because I think he'll still be cheap, but I'll be more convinced that he's fixed. Um, so I, I'm with you on Lynn. He also is like his zone percentage is up where those walks are coming from is his chase rate is down, but it's like everything looks a lot more like his like 2020, 2021 season than his 2022 basically. But like 2020, 2021, he had a 2.91 ERA, 3.62 FIP, 4.00 XFIP, 3.85 Sierra. Like that was, it was good. It's not great. I mean, the ERA is great, but I don't, you know, I'm not counting on him repeating a beating his his out you know his peripherals by that much, but like those are good numbers, and I just there isn't anything going on here that like I look at and I'm like, yeah, he's a fundamentally different pitcher than he was two years ago. The biggest question might be like his fastball velocity is down. It was 94 in 2020 and 2021. It was down to 93 last year. It's down to 22.2. So. I do think there is a possibility that what we're seeing here is just its decline and that that you know extra half mile per hour extra mile per hour on the fastball is is the difference. I, I'm just not quite ready to to give up on that yet. I I, I don't know. We'll see. But I'd if, be curious if to see where the velocity was at at this time last year, right? I mean, April is usually a season where velocities are are down. Or yeah. usually a so month where they're down. He he missed April last year. Oh, that's fun. So I told you he has eight starts. I told you that his fastball velocity so far through those eight starts this year is 92.2. Through his first eight starts last year, his fastball velocity was 92.2. Exactly the same. So nice. from that point on. Big boy's just getting warmed up. Yeah, it was 92.9 the rest of the way. So like that that could be the difference, right? That that yeah, that almost a mile an hour. Yeah. Yeah. So point is, yes, I am waiting on him. The other guys here, I like I I feel a little bad because I feel like Michael Kopak, like I want to see him succeed. Um just won't be on your fantasy teams. Yeah. And like some you know, somebody yesterday was like, Oh, he struck out, you know, he, he struck out five in like a two inning period yesterday, and he only gave up one hit cool. over four and two thirds, he only gave up two runs. He walked six. <laughs> in that game that wasn't yesterday but it was it was friday but close enough but the point is that like he just he can't 
put up consistently good performances. Like you expect to see big strikeouts from him. They're not there. He's striking out less than a hitter per inning. He occasionally keeps the walks down, but his walk rate is 5.95 per nine innings. Like it's just, it's just not going to work. And on top of that, he's got a 20.7% home run to fly ball rate, which you could argue that's going to come down because it probably will. That is very, that is very inflated, but he's getting hit hard. Like Mm. his, his exit velocity is up. His barrel rate is up because his barrel rate so far this year is 18.5%. Now that probably will also come down. Guys just won't consistently barrel him at that rate, but like, He's not just giving up a bunch of home runs because they happen to be getting over the fence. Like he's getting tagged and he plays in a bad power park for pitchers. So I'm just, I I wish Michael Kopech all the best except against the guardians and he won't be on my fantasy teams. And like, if, if you're still buying in on Michael Kopech, I I don't know what to tell you. There's a, there's, I get it. Like when he, he was 22 and like a breakout candidate and then he didn't pitch in the majors in 2019 or 2020. And if you were come back in 2021 and you're like, I believe in this guy's talent, I get it. And then he was good, but made four starts and was a reliever the rest of the year. And like, it's just been bad since then. And I'm just not. Yeah. People hold on to prospect value for a really long time. And I can be guilty of that, right? It could be like a freaking 29 year old. And I'll be like, well, Hey man, remember they were a top prospect. Keep in mind why everybody loved Michael Kopech, why the Red Sox were able to get Chris Sale for Michael Kopech and, and Yomakata. It's because the dude regularly threw like 101 miles an hour. Right. He doesn't do that anymore. So he's not the same pitcher that we were excited about. He's a mystery box, and it's so far not good. Yeah, I will say, like, I said it's all been bad since then. I should note, in 2022, he had a 3.54 ERA over 25 starts and almost 119.1 innings, almost 120 innings. The problem was that 3.54 ERA, like he had a 4.50 FIP, 4.83 XFIP, 4.73 Sierra. Like it was fool's gold and it was very obviously fool's gold. And mm-hmm. so what you're looking at is a guy who really has never been fantasy successful as a starter in his career. And I, like I said, it, he doesn't have the upside he once had. So yeah, I, I'm out on him. Let's uh let's take one more quick break. When we come back from that, the last name on this list is Taiwan Walker, and we should talk a bit about him as well. All right, welcome back. We've been going through our eight pitchers with both an ERA and an FIP above five. We've we have so far basically said we're still interested in Lance Land, we're still interested in Hayden Wesneski. Everyone else, we've been sort of like, eh, you can move on. Taiwan Walker, the last name on this list, and which list are you putting him on? Are you is he with Landon Wesneski or is he just done for you? Uh, he's just not a player I, I had interest in. Um, I think it was pretty clear last year there was a little bit of of luck involved, right? ERA around three and a half, but most of the ERA estimators had him at four or above. I he's an innings eater in deep leagues. He's streamable. Um, but I think he he's showing us this year that he's just not really a player worth investing in. There's not going to be a lot of strikeouts. Um, the home runs this year are a bigger problem than they've ever been, which makes sense because he's been really bad. But like, I don't know, even the the fastball velocity is down a, a click and he's now 30 years old. So like, do we really expect it to get much better? I, I don't. Yeah, I mean, the reality is and I like 
this is not a, it's never going to happen because the Phillies just signed him to a pretty sizable contract but like he should not be in the Phillies rotation Matt Strom is a better starting pitcher than him right now and if you look at the rest of that rotation like Walker's the worst of them I you know maybe maybe you say Bailey Falter but like Falter is young and still sort of developing and I I'm, I'm actually more intrigued to see him get starts I could one of the two of them could be either one of them let's say that one of the two of them should be making room for Strom to get back into the rotation. But like the fact that Walker's even in that conversation and, and, I, and I think it's, I don't know. That was a contract that like they paid him four years, $18 million. It is a, like that is the going rate for a guy who eats a bunch of innings. But the thing is, you're basically looking at that point, like $18 million, that guy should be a two win pitcher from not, not wins, but, to war pitcher. His F war last year was 2.5. Before that, it was 1.4. He was not on a two win pace in 2020. He barely pitched in 2019. He threw one inning. He threw 13 innings in 2018. In 2017, he was a 2.5 win pitcher. In 2016, 0.7 wins. Like there's no track record here to suggest that he is going to, from his age 30 to 33 season, which is what they paid for that he's going to be a two win pitcher. I'm yeah. I think this is just like, this isn't quite who he is. Like he's not a a 5.75 ERA, but he is absolutely like a four, four and a half ERA, something like that. And I'm just, I'm just not interested in the guy who's going to give me a, you know, 4.25 ERA and less than a strikeout per inning. If you were giving me, you know, 11 strikeouts per nine innings and throwing an ERA of round four. Like, yeah, I'll take that ERA hit to get those strikes. Like he's just not even doing that. So yeah, I'm with you. I think he's just, he is an innings eater. He's, he's maybe a guy you could stream. Although again, like without a lot of strikeouts, it's just the upside on a stream is low and the risk on a stream is bad because if he, if he gets beat up, he doesn't even get you the strikeouts to, to make up for getting beat up. So I get him as a streamer, but I, that's it. Yeah. And it, you'd have to be like you're saying, you'd have to be really limited in options. And I think it's more likely that if he continues to pitch this poorly, he's, he's a phantom. I Elston. He's not a go to the bullpen guy. He throws yeah. a lot of different pitches. He's low nineties. Like he's, he's very close to being completely irrelevant for a guy who just signed a pretty nice contract. Yeah. Good for him though. Yeah. Hey, more power to him. Yeah. Any other pitchers you want to discuss? I have none, but I would like to end on a positive note. Since we okay. just ended on Taiwan Walker, uh, uh, a player who the show is a fan of, Royce Lewis last night. Did you see what he did, Chad? No. Second rehab game, two for three, three runs scored, doubled and stole his second base in as many games. So Royce Lewis is on his way back, and Kirilov two home runs the other day. So yeah. our young, our young twins here are are showing out. Yeah, I had Kirilov in multiple lineups yesterday, so I, I felt really good about that. That was. Although nice. I did, uh, I did bench Christian Yelich in one league where I where I could have used. Did he go off? I didn't even see. He, he hit two home runs as well. Oh wow! Okay, he, he's yeah. Maybe he's getting that launch angle back up. Probably not. Yeah, but maybe. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I was I was very sad to see that I had him. On the, I was like, oh yes, finally, because I've got him in a bunch of leagues, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I benched him everywhere. That sucks. <laughs> But he's just been bad. So he's been, it's funny yes. because he's been he's been stealing bases. And so he's been useful for me in my 
my rare leagues where stolen bases matter. But other than that, Yelich has been low, worse than I thought he would be. Uh, yeah. You know, the the thing with him has always been like the on base percentage provides such good floor, and he hasn't even really he's he has a 320 on base or something like that. It's been yeah. it's been ugly. So. Yeah, we try to end positive, folks. No, I'm still, I'm still very excited about Kirilov. I am excited about, uh, about Lewis coming back. Yeah, I'm, I also I'm another guy, a, a bat who just missed our list as well because his woba I think is like 303, although his exoba is below 300. Is is Jazz Chisholm Jr. And Jazz is another guy like I'm still in on him. His his chase rates down, his exit velocity is up, his max EV is up. He's got a launch angle issue, but he's he's had that before and has fixed it before. Uh, and his his contact rate is down on pitches outside the zone, which is driving down his overall contact rate, which is causing a swing strike rate to be like it's. He just needs to either st- like he needs to fix his contact on pitches outside the zone, which is such a random thing to have to fix. But like other than that, I think he's in a pretty good spot. And uh, I was planning on talking about him a little bit more, but then he. He like busted his ankle last night and x-rays were negative. And so I think he's okay, but he's probably gonna be out for a bit. But like, I don't know. I, I was, I was this close, this close to trading for jazz in my CBS head to head league. It's a team in last place. that is a $24 jazz, which I think could prove to be a good keeper price. Although it's not a guarantee. Um, it's, you know, a relatively shallow league. So being second base and outfield is super useful for me. And he wanted this is the league where I where I promoted Yoshida. We talked about Yoshida and Beatty, and I decided to promote Yoshida and hold Beatty as a trade chip. He wanted Beatty, my ten dollar Edwin Diaz stash, and my I think it's a six dollar or eight dollar Logan Allen for Jazz. And he's got a couple of closers. He's got a five dollar Iglesias, he's got a one dollar Carlos Estevez. Like he was looking at, you know, one of those closers with Jazz. So I was like, okay, I'm sort of into this. And then in the like, I think it was like 24 to 36 hours after I was like, I'm going to just double check some stuff. Mason Miller hit the IL. Tanner Bybee had a bad start. Max Freed hit the IL. And so I went from having in a league where I like to carry seven starters. I had eight. I was pretty happy with, and I'm still happy with Bybee. Well, I'm not, I'm not super worried about the one bad start, but like I went from having eight guys who look great to having six guys who look like they're good. And Bybee maybe being a little bit of a question mark. And I was like, oh, now maybe I can't really give up Allen. <laughs> and then I was looking at the free agent market and the free agent I picked up was, was Nesky because he had been so good over those five starts I talked about. But I'm still trying Four to figure runs. out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm still trying to figure out if I can, you know, can I, can I piece together the pitching I want to piece together to allow me to trade Allen? Because the reality is like giving up, giving up Diaz, I'm fine with, especially since I'm going to get a closer back. Um, giving up Beatty, like if I'm not going to promote him, I might as well trade him. Um, but giving up a pitcher, I don't know. I probably should still do it. I, I the, the reality is jazz and a closer in a league where like my relievers in that league, I think are, uh, they're not bad. They're just not closers and it's not a saves plus holds leagues. It's just a saves league. It's head to head. And so I've been like, I'm typically pretty content to punt saves until late in the season there and then make some trades to be ready for the playoffs. Uh, I've got AJ Puck, who's been good, although he struggled a bit lately. But he's been good and he's getting some saves. The Marlins just don't get a lot of opportunities. I've got Hunter Harvey, who I he should be the closer in DC. I don't know if he's going to be. And then I've got Brian Abreu, who like every time Ryan Presley has a week outing, I'm like, 
It's oh, that guy's so nasty too. Like, it, it's so it's, good. It's gonna happen. So that's actually the the other thing that's been a challenge for me with this trade is like, let's say I get either Iglesias or Estevez. They're obvious closers. They have to be plugged into my lineup right away. But like, I don't really want to give up Puck, Harvey, or Abreu. Uh, Puck is $7, which isn't like a great price, but he's a closer. So he's not the one I would give up. And the other two are a dollar each. And I do think there's a real chance that those guys are closers by the end of the year. So Harvey should have been going into the season. I know. Yeah, it's I, really I, bizarre there. He's the one to cut, though, out of those options if you end up doing it. Because even if he gets he? it, I mean, it's the freaking Nationals. Like, what, what are you going to yeah, get? Six saves? Fair enough. <laughs> yes, that's that's true. And whereas Abreu, like, if Abreu ends up at the job, he immediately becomes an elite closer. Like, you could get 20 saves in half a season. So, yeah. yeah. <sighs> so, yeah. I, I, I guess the question is, do I do I make that deal? And, I don't know. I have to look at, like, because my rotation, right? Oh, I forgot. It wasn't in the 24 hours after I started talking about that deal. But uh, Anthony Disclafani is on that team for uh, me as well. Another and one. he got hurt. So, like, you know, when I started this conversation, I had, like, Wheeler and Freed and Disclafani and Kirby. And I had Bybee and Allen. Like, I, I also Blake Snell, who I think is, is starting to... His last two starts have been decent, and they've both been against the Dodgers. So, it's like, okay. I almost brought him up for this exercise because as bad as he's been, you know, he's going to have a month where his FIP is like 1.4 and we're going to all want. It's coming again. It's coming. But I had all these guys and now all of a sudden my rotation, my healthy rotation at league is Allen, Bybee, Snell, Wesneski, and then I have Kirby and Wheeler. So Kirby and Wheeler are great, but like everything else here is like, I don't know. So I'm, I'm torn. And then like I was looking at, free agents. So like, okay, if I make this trade, then I'm going to have to pick up some pitching. And if I look at like, you know, by CBS's rankings of their stats this year, the best starters available as free agents are Matt Straub, who we just talked about and isn't even a starter anymore. Uh, Dane Dunning, who is at best, sometimes a starter. He's Dane. Jeffrey Dunning, Springs. So. Je- Jeffrey Springs is still statistically the third best free agent starter available. So that's not really that helpful. Nick like Martinez, <laughs> Nick Martinez, Seth Lugo, Josh Winkowski, not a starter. Bryce Wilson, not a starter. Cutter Crawford, injured and not a starter. JP France, who I, has been good, so maybe I should believe in him, but I don't. Michael Waka, Rich Hill, Tanner Houck. Like I'm, I'm, I'm scrolling down here, and it's like Taiwan Walker's there. I can go pick up Taiwan Walker, who we just <laughs> talked about. So I, I'm just sort of, I don't know. Like I actually, the, the next guy that we have, we have Fab running tonight, and I've got to put Mason Miller on the IL. I think the guy I'm going to be targeting there is Brian Bayo. Yeah, and he he's been he's got a five ERA. I don't know what his FIP was. He didn't make our list, so it wasn't high enough. Um, but his last was it? He also might starts? just not qualify. Yeah, but his his last three starts. So here's another positive note. We can we can we can actually end on this one. But Brian Bayo. 16 innings, 16 strikeouts, four walks, five earned runs over his last three starts. And yes, the first of those was against the fearsome Cleveland Guardians, but his last two were against the Jays and the Braves. And he, I mean, he shut the, he shut those two teams down, right? Against those two teams, Atlanta, Toronto, two terrific offenses, 11 innings, 10 strikeouts, two walks, 12 hits, four earned runs. That is fantastic numbers. You got a quality start in one of those. So I, I am 
I am excited about adding Brian Bayo. I don't know other than that. Then I'm looking at like, I think Kyle Bradish is a good buy low. So he might be next to the list, but like, I am, I don't know. Louis Varland. Should I buy in on Louis Varland? Maybe I should buy in on Louis Varland. Kind of like him. In regards to Bayo, I mean, he was particularly impressive in that Atlanta outing. 18 swing strikes in under 100 pitches. And if you look at the Red Sox schedule coming up, he gets the Mariners, who I like the Mariners. I think they're good, but that is a team that's, uh, yeah, they've been struggling. And if he's at his, like, if he's really getting into it here, he should be pretty good. You mentioned the last three outings. His only other two outings were his first two outings of the year coming off injury, and one of them was in bad weather. So I'm, Bayo's giving us something to be excited about over here. Yeah. So, I think that is enough. We, uh, we've covered a bunch of guys who have been terrible this year. Some of them are still worth buying in on. And hopefully those are going to be, hopefully those guys will turn around. We'll have to check back in later in the year and see if we were, we picked the right buy lows, but thank you all for listening. We'll be back with you for episode 100 next week.